Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening from wherever you are on planet Earth. We hope that you all are doing well. This is episode two of the Halligans and Half Wheels podcast brought to you by Box 1971, where we're changing the culture of the fire service one fireman at a time. We're coming to you from the Leatherhead Lounge. Uh, live local, I guess not really late breaking and really not live, huh, John? Uh, we're about as lively as we want to get. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be about 15, maybe 20 days delayed, but we're here. If you haven't figured it out, my big buddy John, Big John is in the house. How are you, buddy? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm trying to get the camera around. Uh, hey, there I am right there. I'm doing all right. <laughs> well, good to see you. I'm glad, I'm glad all the folks got to see you this evening. Well, absolutely. All right. And uh, we're joined this evening by Mr. Curtis Michaud. Uh, we can call him Captain. So uh, how are you, sir? Good evening. Doing good. How's everybody else doing? Well, glad to be here in the 1971 house. <laughs> It's definitely different, right? A lot of people don't realize what is, you know, when you say that you have your own firehouse headquarters, people really don't know what to take, you know, uh, when you look down and there's a tower ladder to your left or my right, they don't know what to think. Gotta see it to believe it. Yeah, yeah, so we're we're here in Firehouse 71 and we're also joined by Bill Cox's boy, Eddie. Mm, I know what's wrong with it. You ain't got no gas in it. <laughs> How are you, brother? It's it's been a few days. Uh, doing great, doing great. Living life to the to the greatest. It can't get no better. Well, if he's any better, I don't think you can stand yourself. I Jeez. can't stand myself most days anyway. <laughs> what about your wife? Can she stand you? No, uh, she misses me about every third day. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we told the folks that we were going to conduct a podcast and, and we were going to do this, and it was just going to be straightforward content. So this is. We're just going to talk about things, just kind of whatever's on our minds, whatever's on our hearts, um, you know, whatever comes to be. Uh, <clears throat> the one thing that we need to discuss is our cigars. So, uh, myself, Big John, and Eddie are all smoking uh, six by uh, 60 uh, Maduro uh, Box 1971 cigars. Eddie, what do you think of it? That's really good. Well, I, I did, I have to confess to you, I did infuse them with honey pecan rum Ooh. so uh curtis you are smoking a connecticut am i right correct all right well, that's a nice ashtray that you got there with the uh the scott pack and the mac dog and it is you know having a having a uh having a mac here i guess that's apropos right i guess so, so. uh well cool so let's uh let's jump into it so how long you been a fireman curtis so I started back in 2010 as a volunteer, and um, just told myself, I said, I'm, I'm going to become career, professional, paid, however you look at it. Sure. Not that there's anything wrong with being a volunteer, it's just I had my mindset from day one. I'm going to do it. Uh, started a volunteer department back in 2010, like I said earlier, and uh, moved county, so re relocated to another fire department uh, in 2012. Still at a volunteer uh, status. Uh, got my acquired my EMT. I had already got my firefighter one and two on my own time back in 2010, 2011. Got my EMT. Uh, started working as a full time basic for the county EMS system that I in which I lived, and snagged a part time job at the department in which I was volunteering at, and did that for a little over. I stayed on the ambulance for six years uh, before I got hired at the department I currently serve in the role as a captain at full-time. Sure. Um, still worked at my volunteer department part-time, and then, uh, in all honesty, got burnt out doing the whole full-time fireman, part-time fireman. Um, 
just didn't really see a whole lot of setup for myself in the future after retirement. So I left part-time as a fireman and started working for a diesel mechanic shop part-time. Um, within, I've been at the current department I'm at full-time for going on March 30th of this year will be six years. Um, six, love. Year, six years and a captain. Six years. Uh, I've only been a captain for a little over a year and a half now. What I was saying is you've been there six years and yes. you're a captain. There's yep. a lot of places that some guys don't promote till they're captain until they're yep. in their 50s. And, I mean, you're you're in your 30s. You're young. Yeah, he's old young, but. I am young. Um, I have taken, and it's not saying that because I've taken this stuff that it, it makes me certified for the job. But I have, in the six years I've been at Lumberton Fire Department, I took the six-year career ladder uh, and challenged everything with the proper certifications and, you know, documentation and was able to complete the six-year career ladder in two years and ten months-ish. No shit. Uh, Just because they, it was like a syllabus for class. They handed it to me and they said, hey, uh, you just got to have these credentials, take this test, and you get a pay raise. And then after six months, you can get these credentials, take another test, and you get another pay raise. So, sign me up. I quickly progressed through the ranks. uh, Sure. But what what helped me was having, you know, actual paid status time tenure behind me. Sure. Um, So, when it came down to promotion times, I was already ahead of the game as far as. It was more level playing field with me versus some of the other individuals that have been at the department for 10 years, give or take some minus a few years or more, uh, just because of what I carried going to that department. Sure. Um, So, you know, it's one of those things where it can be looked at as, yeah, I'm young. Yeah, he hasn't been at Lumberton long. But at the same time, am I wrong for taking advantage of the way the system is? I don't know if you're taking advantage of. I think if they gave you the playbook and told you the play to run, I mean, you know, I, I think that some people will probably look at that a little differently, but who cares, right? I mean, who's paying your bills, you or them? Me. All right, well, that makes sense. So That's right. I, I did have a question, though. You, you brought up something that was kind of interesting, and, and I've seen this a lot in young people, and, John, maybe you can weigh in on this. The guys that, that work many jobs, right, like you bounce around from part-time here, part-time EMS, and then you go full-time fire, it seems like you're a person without a home. Do you, did you ever feel nomadic? Like you didn't really belong in one place. You were just kind of filling a role, like maybe plugging a hole. Well, everything I'd done was just was just a a stepping stone to get me where I wanted. Uh, I had tried at other departments, uh, career departments, and you know some of them I tried multiple times in a row, multiple years. You know sometimes wouldn't make it as farther as far as I did the year before. I'd make it farther than I did the year before. And I knew I wanted to be a career fireman. I was never going to give up that dream. But what got rough for me to understand was I knew I had to have time on the ambulance, one, to give me the certification requirements, but also give me the experience in my book that I needed to be able to go to be a fireman. You know, I believe that 911 experience as an EMT, you gain a lot more than you do as an EMT on a rig. Like as a convalescent rig? Is that what you're saying? Like a convalescence rig, like not 911? No, that was straight 911. No, I'm saying is the rig, like a lot of people. Yeah, like the fire engine rig. Yeah, like a lot of people, I think, come out of EMT school and they go get a job at like, I call it toting, right? I mean, taking people to doctors. Inner facility transport, things like that. Doctors appointments, things like that. And they, they, they build some experience, but they don't have, they may be able to technically write, but they don't 
have the, uh, I guess, essential functions to run it, a trauma call. It, it's a mentality change when you go from inter-facility transfers to being on the street. Yeah. No doubt. Being able to take care of people. Let me ask you, how did you how did you come on the job? Um, I've I've been in the, I've, I started in the fire service at the age of fifteen. Uh, from South Carolina, mom and dad, or my or dad lived back behind the fire station. Uh, 14, 15 years old, seeing him get up at three o'clock in the morning, and it just got my curiosity up. And I one day I said, "Pop, where, where are you going three o'clock in the morning?" Well, I said I had a fire. Okay. And you know, a couple of times I got my interest up, and I went with him on a call, and you know, I got to see my hero go and do what he did, and pull hose, showed me how to run the truck until other people got there, and. No kidding. The, the bug got the bug bit me. Um, so you're originally from South Carolina. Originally from South Carolina, uh, down in little Dillon County. Uh, if you know where South, of, you ever heard of South of the Border, where uh, Pedro stays? Oh yeah, you know, they redid it. Yeah, uh, we're it, going to Florida in a few weeks. We'll, we'll pass right by. Yeah. We sure will. All right, we'll have to we'll have to give it a look. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, joined the fire department with Dad. He was an instructor. He taught me how to do things. You know what he thought was the right way. Um, moved to North Carolina a couple of years later. City Fire Department didn't hire 19-year-olds, 18-year-olds had an age requirement. My wife's making great money. I'm making sorry money. <laughs> um, as, is, as is the case with most public servants. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm working in a grocery store making 5 $6 an hour. Mercy sakes. So, kind of hitting the ego, and it's like, i got to do something. I knew I wanted to go into emergency, serv or emergency services. Um, fire department wasn't hiring I was, I was married at 19 so it's like i gotta do something right i started off at, on a convalescent rig mm -hmm. out of emt school sure real quickly i realized tail, tail as old as time yeah uh <laughs> real quick realized yeah this does not work um continued my continued improving myself uh certified as an intermediate still had to fi the fire desire just the age thing uh Went to work with County EMS. Uh, ended up wor uh, working there for ten years as a paramedic. Uh, oh, you're one of them. Yeah, I'm, I I was on that side of the fence, and I saw the light. Mm. Came to the dark side. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think it's the better side, honestly. Well, it is. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, ju I just I didn't realize it at the time, but uh, I realize now it was I was dealing with a lot of post traumatic stress problems at home. Uh, running calls just didn't have nobody to talk to hmm. and i just i needed to get out of it so sure. talked to my wife i said hey the fire department's hiring i don't know if i can handle i can uh afford the pay difference she said babe we'll make it don't worry about it plus i was well, on good on her for being supportive yeah right right so, not a lot of guys have that and, and what she really understood was home life was hell uh I was not the easiest person to deal with. Oh, no way. But she was very supportive. Alpha personality, no shit. Yeah. I'll so, be God dang. Anyway, you know, uh, that's how I ended up at Lumberton. Uh, I put in an application, agility process. They were wanting to hire paramedics and go uh, paramedic service, and that's where I'm at. So what's your what's your role? What's your rank now? Uh, I am the training chief, uh, rank of battalion chief. I oversee training, uh, community risk reduction, all those fun things. Uh, I love it. Do you? I, I enjoy it. I, I I love every bit of it. Well, I mean, we sit here and we know because we 
how we came to know both of you was through the training that we provide. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's noteworthy to notice or note that Curtis is one of our newest members of the cadre, and uh, <clears throat> what an impressive young man. And that I think that's a testament to what you guys are doing there. You've got some amazing individuals. I think we're going back in a few weeks to train with you guys again, uh, probably about the time the podcast comes out, this podcast. Uh, but <clears throat> there's a lot of good people there. Mm-hmm. It's a good agency. It's a small metropolitan area. It's mm-hmm. not very large. Uh, what do you guys have, three houses? We run, th- we run three houses. Um, we just acquired another house back. Oh. Uh, if things work right. Uh, hopefully we're going to be opening that house back up hopefully with more personnel okay so just going to have to see how it rolls all right well you hit on something i want to talk about maybe i don't know john do you think we can, i mean i don't know where we're going to go but you hit on post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. so there's a lot of buzzwords flying around a lot of people wanting to talk about certain things what were you dealing with how were you coping with it then i mean don't take this any disrespect, Chief. Yeah, but you're not a spring chicken. No, I'm. So. I'm no, um, I, I was. De- I didn't realize at the time, but I was. I was very angry all the time. I was high stress. Um, real quick to snap at my wife. Irritable. Very irritable. <laughs> we would call that irritable. Um, and I got to the point where I didn't really like me or anybody around me. That's right. And I identify with three of the four. Yeah. So um, pills don't just, work. <laughs> pills don't work. Didn't didn't know how to. Didn't know that's what I was dealing with. It was just our EMS agency. It was it was a meat grinder. And mm. It was it was constant. You know, uh, Robinson County is known as the uh, gun and knife club for a reason. Mm. Um, Anyway, just dealing with a lot of different calls, uh, and I just I needed a break, and I didn't realize what it was. Sure. So, and when I realized I needed to get out of EMS, uh, I I run as hard as I could to the firehouse. To the firehouse. And look at you now. And I'm I loving what I do. <laughs> yeah, got an office job. You got a view? I, I do now. I took the uh, patch board down. Yep. So uh, I've got a bl- I got a bl- I can got some blinds I can open up and look out on the bay floor. You know. Shooter from Thompson Multimedia can mm. get you the mirrored decal to put on there, or he could get the DOT stuff to where you can see out, but they can't see in. Well, I wanted to do something <laughs> like that, not to look out on the guys, but right. the, the the consensus was, well, he's going to sit there and peek out at us, and, no. and it's like, no, we don't want that. So it's like, you know, I'll just you put never a set thought of blinds. You never thought that way when you're on the line, right? You never thought that way once. No, never. <laughs> the man the man was out to get you, right? <laughs> you never thought that, did you, Big John? I, you know, a lot of folks was out to get me, but uh, not the man. No, not the man. Not the man. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Curtis, I mean, you've got, what, 10, 11 years in? 12? I, I can't remember what you, what you said. 12 years, right? 2010? 2010, so yeah, 12 years now. 12 years. All right. So, you encounter anything like this, like what he talked about? Yeah. I uh, <clears throat> recently, well, not recently, but actually just came up on, in December 8th of the previous year, hit two years clean. Um, pretty much a lot of what, you know... Um, I'll refer to him as Chief Cox or Chief. Uh, we've been playing this whole it's Eddie when we're not away from the firehouse, but it's pretty tough for you to break that habit when you see somebody and respect them that much to just 
he earned it. So, right. you know, personal time or professional, it's how I'm. You're how still I see the him. chief, right? I mean, exactly. That's right. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, uh, I'm one of those guys. I wouldn't say I'm a black cloud or a shit magnet, but uh, it just seems that every call I would get had some type of magnitude attached to it. Whether it was a pediatric involved code, whether it was a traumatic injury, uh, whether it was house fires, you know, with burn victims, or it was, you know, victims that we never got to, you know, it just seemed like I'm always the one that was getting these calls. And over time, it just kind of started getting to me. And about like what Chief said, you know, home marriage really wasn't what it was supposed to be. Um, didn't really have a relationship with my kid. Worked all the time. When I wasn't working, I was drinking. Um, just got to the point, which, I mean, I started drinking at a very, very young age uh, and using, you know, prescription pills and things like that. And it just got to the point where I just evolved life around drinking. It didn't matter. Um, and and some people would be ashamed to say it, um, and I probably would be ashamed to say these things if I hadn't had fixed myself. Um, but sitting where I'm at now, it's, it's, it's where I came from. It's, it's what made me who I am now. And I'm a firm believer that hopefully one day it might help somebody else. Um, but I was picking my kid up drunk from school. I was counting down the clock where I could drink, um, drinking in the mornings on the weekends, um, started you know befriending my own friends not wanting to go out become paranoid of the crowds you know just i pretty much became a hermit crab um of, of self-pity and and just wallowed in the, the depression the anxiety the the suicide thoughts and attempts and just you know driving down the road and you're thinking hey if i hook this left that tree's big enough to end it but then i'm like well my luck i'll hook this left i'll hit this tree and I'll be like potato soup for the rest of my life. So it's all right, let's not do that one. Or you're sitting in an intersection and you're like, if I, there's a semi right there. If I gun it right now, that semi will hit me. I'll, it'll take care of it. But then you're like, nah, my luck, I'll, I'll punch it too much and it'll hit the back of my truck and it won't work. Um, you know, it's just very, very, very dark, dark times. And uh, got to the point where I was detoxing at work. Um, never, never did anything at work. Um, or on shift, but just the guys were starting to see the cold sweats, the tremors, um, you know, things like that. And then it honestly just got to the point where my liver was starting to shut down. And a lot of people are like, well, man, you're, you're only 28. You know, how much could you have done? Well, when you're stealing money from your wife's purse, you'll, you know how much cases of beer cost and you mix that in with your gas money so that your wife doesn't know that you're spending she thinks you're spending seventy dollars on gas instead of you really spending forty five dollars on gas and you know thirty five dollars on two cases of beer to keep in the back of your truck um you know befriending the ones that have been with you since childhood and just shutting your wife out and your kid and just really not just pretty much losing yourself like you just become emotion in life you know, I was waking up every day doing the same thing over and over again. And the feeling was just getting worse and it was getting worse. And it just got to the point where I was turning yellow. I was getting rashes all over my body. Um, and it was just time to stop. So 
went to a facility did 20 i kind of call it like like i did the like i did a a, a session in the joint it was like i did 28 days it was tough it was rough it made me make my bed every day. It was terrible. <laughs> uh, did 28 days and got out, and, and the rest has been history. I mean, it's it's been it's it's nothing short of an uphill battle every day. Um, one relearning how to live, uh, relearning how to take care of my wife like I should have been taking care of her my whole time, uh, taking care of my child the way I should have been her. You know her life and and realistically want to know if i could return to the job uh was probably the second hardest thing i had to face coming out mm-hmm. is a lot of people didn't know some knew some didn't uh, w- would i be the same person you know w- was the person i was at work because of the detox or was it because i could drink enough the day before to keep me over the next day um, would my decision making be the same? The way I would treat people, my interactions on the streets with patients, you know, would everything that I stood for and represented before getting clean, would it be the same? Um, so, you know, that was a very tough decision for me to make. And um, I, I hope I made the right decision by coming back. Um, which I would say is, interacting with your crew, I think that they. I think they're they're happy that you're there. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and some, you know, I look, I, I, and I don't mean to cut you off. I, this is this is some deep, heavy shit, right? Of course. Um, this is a lot to unpackage. <clears throat> a lot of people are probably thinking, "Holy shit, he showed up to work," you know, basically with enough in the system to 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 get through the day, and then he'd go to work, right? <clears throat> that 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 is not. A normal behavior and you we all uh, agree with that i lost my fa- uh, father-in-law to alcoholism um you know and I, I feel terrible that he died alone and with nobody around him no family whatsoever his actual friend found him and uh what a traumatic event for us as a family right especially my wife i mean my brother-in-law <clears throat> but it, it, it there is that nagging thought is what are people going to think right i mean that that is a cognizant thought. I think everybody here that sitting around this lounge has had that thought, right? Like, am I good enough? Did I make the right decision? And sometimes mm-hmm. you just have to remember. I mean, who remembers the Worcester Six fire? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If if everybody has fucked up in the past, we are fucked up humans, and we we're the craziest species on earth because you never know what we're going to do for a dollar, right? That's it. Twenty dollars is a $20. <laughs> but you think about it. I mean, hell, one of the guys that died in the Worcester Six fire, if you don't read the book 3,000 Degrees or you don't listen to the audio book or talk to the guys, hell, he was a disgraced state trooper that shot up a building, did time in the joint, and was able to get his job back as a fireman to only die a hero. Ooh. Do you think anybody's sitting there drudging up his past and talking about shit and throwing it in his family's face? Like, I just wonder if we're so petty as a society that we – Instead of embracing people for what, if they if they come forward and say, "Hey, I made a mistake," you make the mistake. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to wear a chain around your neck the rest of your life, saying, "I made a mistake. Please, you know, don't judge me." Like, how how does that work? Well, I, I think uh, the only thing you should should have around your neck on a chain is a wheel chalk if you forget it. Uh, <laughs> but but getting back uh, to That's the seriousness, or, well, or I mean, a mask or some gloves. Well, you know, you got to keep your stuff together. Important stuff. Uh, yeah. 
but getting back, I, I think I think maybe part of the the society is to make somebody else feel bad to make yourself feel better. You damn right. You know, yeah. it's just I think it's what it boils down to. I had a chief one time said something that's pretty profound. I'll take it with me the rest of my life. He says, "You're never going to make your candle burn brighter by blowing somebody else's out." And a lot of people have forgotten that. Like oh. they just don't care. Like we all have burdens, right? Like there's a biblical verse, and I, I reference it a lot when we teach. It says you can't fit in a camel through the eye of a needle. It's in a country song. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't understand what that means. You know, there is a hole that went into the holy city that you had to, the camel had to get down on his knees to go through the hole without anything on him. Because camels across the pond are basically like what we have for horses. They're used for that. They're bred for that. And so you had to unburden to go through the hole and it was called the eye of the needle. Mm-hmm. And so you had to take everything off of the camel. The camel would get down on his knees and crawl through, and then you'd put your packages back on. The camel would get up. And that's where that comes from. But a lot of people forget that we are carrying an immense amount of shit. And and the fact is, is like I can easily identify with almost everything you're saying. I can, end, like I told you, not being funny. And just so you know, I love potato soup. <laughs> I say that with the term of endearment, and people will take that as, oh, my God, he's making light of Curtis's situation. No, I, this is how we deal with things. This is our coping mechanism. I'd rather sit up here, and everybody knows that I want to sit up here and watch westerns and smoke cigars and forget about the world. That's my coping mechanism. I, bar- I very rarely drink anymore, but there was a point in my life where I could have very easily been down a different road. Mm. Right? Yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts, John? Uh, well, um, with myself dealing with, uh, PTSD as well, um, let me, uh, I got to get back. Hey, there I am. <laughs> uh, I, I agree with, with chief. Uh, I come off the truck. I was, I was, uh, having trouble sleeping. Um, I was very irritable. Uh, at the drop of a hat, I would I would uh, go off. Uh, same same as Chief, my my home life wasn't wasn't very good because I was an ass. You know? Do you remember your your backstep fireman's birthday party? I've got to be careful how I phrase this, but do you remember that party? All I'm going to say is sup dogs, right? Oh, that's uh, and and your good bibs got ruined that night. You remember ab- that? Absolutely, yeah, I remember that. We went from happy. To a group of pissed off firemen in about nothing flat. Well, that one fella, he didn't help it out, no. No, he did not help his cause. I will give you that. But I, I just, I when you said that, it flashed in my mind, grabbing you by your bibs to keep you from going absolutely berserk on this dude. Well, that fella, he, you know, I, I, I liked where I'm from, and apparently he don't like the South, so I was <laughs> fixing to show him. Uh, <laughs> I won't go tell him. I was going to show him until you snatched my damn overhauls. And... It wasn't just me. I mean, hell, and the, and the worst part is, <laughs> is the cops were literally sitting in the same parking lot. As See, they, they didn't want none of it either. And they didn't want none of it. It was like this. <laughs> you know, like they didn't want none of it. But anyways, back to what you were saying. Uh, yeah, I, so a, a lot of folks, a lot of guys, you know, we go through the same thing. We we come off the truck, off a bad call, 
we may go to our bedrooms we may go you know on the bay floor sit on on the tailboard and, and think you know by yourself but once you start recognizing the the issues and stuff that you're having and you'll see you know your other guys having you know it it's it jumps out at you like oh shit that that's that's what i got and when i started reading the, the little pamphlets and stuff that the the i call it the crazy doctor um <laughs> <laughs> she would give me pamphlets and stuff and as i would read them i, I just everything fell into place i'm like damn this this is what i got and uh i went down a, a dark road uh same as curtis um a plan i had a plan i had everything ready to go i was i was certain out my financials putting my wife on uh my accounts that way she would have access i was trying to button up other things uh and finally uh, i i got help that i needed and it it dawned on me that i almost took something away from my friends and family and that would be selfish of me even though i got rid of my problem my problem just went to everybody else that i cared about so i i applaud folks who who see that they need help and go and seek out the help uh and as brothers don't don't use the word unless you mean it that's that's thrown away that's thrown around a lot of brotherhood brotherhood well if you don't notice that your your guy's having a bad day or you know maybe his dog died right maybe his mm -hmm. wife left him maybe maybe his husband left him. i don't know right but you got to look after your folks if they're not good if they're not good enough mentally uh inside the station how are they going to be on the rig on the job yeah are, are they going to be a hundred percent 10-4 but i got a question for you big john yes sir so this is something that <clears throat> i recently just took and i know everybody's got their own beliefs i recently just took that uh North Carolina peer support class and a two-day class to help get into the North Carolina peer support, you know, try to maybe find that one case I can help or, or save or, you know, just give them something that they need. Right. And giving them the same story that I gave y'all and, you know, just it kept getting referenced back with, with your situation. You know, we both said we had, you know, we had plans, we had thoughts and all this. The, the hardest thing I couldn't get them to understand was if I could have done it, people think that just because you want to kill yourself, you want to end your life. Right. And what I try to get people to understand is it's not that we want our life to end. We want the pain to stop. If somebody could, and, and I hate to be so vulgar about this, but in my opinion, if I could have killed myself and not left the burden financially, mentally, or physically on my family, I wouldn't be here. There wouldn't have been a second chance. Nope. I'd have done it the first time, no question asked. And people say, well, that's selfish of you. But they've never been there. And I guess that, you know. It's, but see, that's the thing, though. It, it's, the problem was I wanted my current life how I was living my current life, how I was currently feel to stop instantly. I didn't want it no more. 
You know, you just get to that point where you physically, emotionally, tired. you're just tired. You can't take anything. Somebody could walk in and say, "Curtis, you've won a million dollars. You can quit your job. You can buy your biggest house you ever want. You and your wife will never have to work. It would never be enough." So that's what people they don't understand is is we didn't want our lives to end completely. We want the current life in which we're living to stop. I believe I believe that feller. Uh, he if, summed it up best. He has no more fucks to give. Yeah, you, you run, you run <laughs> out of fucks, and you well, don't care. The the it's an odd way to look at it, but no, it, it is. It's, it's a different it's, perspective. It's, it's tough to get people to understand that. Not many people actually truly. The ones that I've encountered, I won't speak for everybody. Sure, honestly, say my life is not worth it anymore. But there's always reasons as to why they build up to the attempt or to the the planning process. Sure. And if you break it down, it all leads back to what they want to stop. Right. They want to stop feeling worthless. They want to stop feeling helpless. They want to stop being poor. They want to stop being a burden. Like, you see, all, all those things, they just want to stop. Right. They don't want their life to stop. So you brought up something that, that I, I believe in. And <clears throat> I believe that it's hard for somebody to sit down... Um, and tell you, you know, we're going to have somebody on this podcast um, that is a mental health professional. We're going to have a couple of mental health professionals. One, because she reached out to me, and she's a near and dear friend, has been for, for Christ, 20 years. Is she a crazy doctor? Uh, no, she's a licensed professional counselor. She counsels, um, her name is Tammy. Um, she's going to be on, on the podcast. Um, she's going to come in June back from South Korea. She's currently over there uh, working with our deployed uh, members of the armed services Amen. and their families and their kids. Um, super smart lady, highly educated. Um, she and I have had some, we have had some knockout drag out brawls as friends. Um, we used to live together and, uh, mercy sakes, we've seen each other at our lowest and we've seen each other at, 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 at better than low. I, I would never say highest cause I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Right. So she's seen you naked, huh? Uh, Bless her. I, you know, probably she, she probably has. She probably has at some point. Uh, but that's a fair point. That is pretty low. I mean, I've seen me naked. I'm like, good God. Good thing I got married young. Because <laughs> I couldn't imagine dating right now. Like, could you imagine like having to be re-released into the wild? I mean, we were talking about that earlier today. I mean, it took you 22 years to... And hell no, I don't want to learn somebody all over again. No. <laughs> well, that's right. Yep, you yep. know, I mean, shit, it took me 30 years to figure my shit out before I met my wife, right? Well, I mean, now you're having to work for stuff. Or back then you had to work for stuff. Now it's like, hey, you can eat my ass on Friday, and we just started dating on Wednesday. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a whole different world. It is absolutely... You know, I had, we world. had to work for, you know, a date, let alone... Right, crazy stuff. ...dinner, let alone anything else. And now... They're just like, yeah, what's up? Come back to my place. Yeah, like, oh, it's, it's, it's like everybody's on Tinder or something. Yeah. You know, these kids that you go to the firehouse, and I know Jeez. we're off topic, but you go to the firehouse and they're they're on their social media apps and dating apps and Tic Tac or, you know, Tic Tac. They're I tweeting. Like that. You know, yeah. is that what Twitter tweetering? Yeah, they're doing something. You know, Twitter from Varsity Blues is who I know. Reading the Bible. Yeah, <laughs> should be reading the Bible or maybe I don't know something fire like book. fire fire engineering. <laughs> you know, heathenistic. Uh, but, but we're gonna talk with people. You know, like like. Uh, we're going to have a guy down from Pittsburgh. Um, his name's Butters. Jeez. Near and dear friend. But he works with an at-risk population. 
he's not really a mental health guy, but he, he said, Jeremy, I want to talk about some things. He reached out to us and said, Hey, I want to talk about, um, you know, at risk people because, you know, he deals with people that have mental disorders and in, in, in a, in a, uh, I don't know, in a special needs kind of way. Right. So he's in direct care and, and, you know, I, um, there's something that there's a there's a niche that none of us know about as firemen how to how to deal with that we were never taught that it's definitely not an ifsta manual and it's not taught in any classes right it's just one of those things you're now you get your gold seal they put it on the the paper and oh, add, a, add a boy go get it yeah you're good you know how to turn on an air pack you know how to put your gear on the 60 seconds go forth and prosper pull the hand line you know so but what i was going to say <clears throat> is i reflect on a conversation that Tammy and I had years ago, and maybe you can agree to disagree, or maybe you agree, I don't know. But it's very difficult for me to have someone tell me how to feel. Yeah. And that is... Or, or don't tell me it'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be fine. You know, um, and, and I will tell you that, that in all of my conversations, um, I've never had that with Tammy. I've never, you know, I, I worked with a, a guy that I know for years, and he'll remain anonymous because it's a you know, an actual professional relationship, but he and I talked for, well, we've been talking for 21 years and, you know, I'll call him up and we'll have a, we'll have a telehealth visit before telehealth was the thing. And, um, he's really the only one I trust because he's been there. He's got the paperwork to back it up. Right. I mean, he's, 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 he's got his doctorate. He's not just a guy playing it. He's not a guy that just saw a need and said, Hey, I'm going to go do this and it's going to become vogue. And I feel that's almost what you're talking about. Like it's become vogue, like it's the thing to do. Like everybody's like, oh, peer support. Well, that's great. And I'm sure they do great work. I've never, never had to deal with it. But if you've never walked a mile in my shoes, and I've never walked a mile in your shoes, how can I in good conscience sit here and tell you that, hey, John, it's going to be okay? It doesn't work, right? Like no. it's great to sit here and say, hey, we're doing it. We're doing something. I mean, motion without purpose is still nothing. And not knocking anybody. I'm just saying for me, if you haven't been there and done it and you don't have at least a couple skeletons in your closet, how can you tell me how to deal with it? Like I would much rather call you or Eddie or John or Phil and be able to have a real conversation or drive to your house and say, this is what's going on as opposed to picking up the phone. Yep. Because I think we, we don't invest ourselves in real relationships anymore. We don't. That is a that is a big problem. That's why peer support is so lucrative, right? If you will, because we use like Big John was saying, we use the term brotherhood just as a, just another slogan. Hey, it's the brotherhood, and you know you have a guy that really needs someone to talk to, right. and the whole shift is like I oh, just fuck you, right? You know, don't 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 bring that bullshit about brotherhood. Right, brotherhood is going to your the guy that's you know he's got a problem and you're just sitting there and you're like man we need to talk about this we need to talk about this you got financial issues let's help you with that right that's 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 probably one of the and i think i think it, as firemen we're, we're all macho and and shit and we we let it get to that point because yeah. we're too proud to ask for help yeah i i, I would say it I, i'm a proud some bitch but yeah. right i mean I'll, Somebody I'll, has to see that I need help for me to to say, well, I guess I guess so. Uh, now, when I couldn't stand myself and I was in my dark place, I knew I needed help, so I went and committed myself. I I, I knew I needed it. Yeah. So, 
but, but yeah. how do you feel how do you feel that people looked at you after you made a voluntary decision to do that fuck them maybe somebody needed to hear that tonight or today or this morning it, it's really i don't care what other people think i, I mean <laughs> it, it it's about I, me and I long grew past that right right I, unless they're unless they're living your life or know what you're going through don't don't worry about the decisions that i make yeah if I'm making wrong decisions, please be that person to help try to guide me. Right. But don't come up after and say, "Yeah, you fucked up." Yeah. No shit. Where, where were you at when I? <laughs> where were you at when I was needing this? Where were you at when I was off the rails, like yeah. coming off? You know. Right. No, it makes total sense, and it's again, it, it, I didn't know that we were going to really get this raw, right? I mean, we're jumping in with the first episode. I get balls deep. Yeah, I mean, we might as well just go for victory of Valhalla. <laughs> You know, we're not turning this into a kumbaya session. I just think it's interesting to talk about other people's perspectives. Uh, you know, whereas we all come from different geographical uh, areas. We all come from different backgrounds. Um, you know, some of us started in the early teens. Some got a later start in life. Some people just don't know what they want to do and are trying to figure it out. But it's definitely interesting for me to sit and listen to a perspective and to have somebody three people to sit down and be bold and say wow you know like this is this is it like this is what i faced i mean yeah. what did you let me ask you i think we should go around the room we'll just start with you john what what was your i guess what would be considered your low point that made you say i need help Um, <clears throat> really thinking deep on this one. Uh, no, I'm. <clears throat> if you know him well enough, you know he's chalking back emotion. I think it was the. I think it was a letter, I wrote, or started to write. Uh, I guess explaining that I had had enough. Uh, I was tired. And uh, I was through with it. I was ready to go. And uh, I never, I never made it through the letter. And uh, I broke down and cried in front of my wife. And uh, I guess I told her I needed to go somewhere. And we called around. And I think I got suited up in Briar Creek about 2 a.m. one morning. They took me in. But that's uh, I think that that's my low point to where I was I was ready to give it up, just right. tired of everything. What about what about you, Curtis? What was the uh, what was the point for you where you said I gotta I gotta pull the trigger? <laughs> oh, <laughs> it, it wasn't really a specific event as more of it was just a, a combination of everything. So <clears throat> my plan in life and and. I worked with Chief Cox. I worked beside Chief Cox before he even got promoted. Um, so we were truckies together. We were on the engine together. I mean, we we fought fire together. If 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 we weren't sitting here side by side, and I wouldn't put him on the spot, you could probably ask him what kind of employee I was, and he would probably give you an answer as to close to something as perfect as could be. And couldn't ask for better. 
that was my on, on point. Good job. That was my <laughs> goal. I made Lumberton feel as if I had absolutely nothing going on. Made everybody think Curtis was perfect. Everybody was happy. Never mind that my home life was shit. I wasn't really a father. I wasn't a husband. I wasn't a friend. We just had a Christmas party one night. And, of course, I had went to the therapist that morning after I showed up to my buddy's house drunk with a gun in my hand and was like, I'm done. I'm tired of this shit. It's over. He drove me to the hospital. He kicked me out. I started walking. We got back in the truck, kicked me out, whatever. This lasted for like six hours. Whoa, whoa, back up. They, they kicked you out when you asked for help? No, no, no. So we got to the hospital. And he kicked me out. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, okay. we got to the psych ward, and he was like, it's Am time I the only one that was get... confused by that? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, 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 no. So let me, let me clarify. We had went to the bar to receive help from a friend, because they knew I wouldn't meet, like, Waffle House. So we went to a bar. You don't like smothered and covered? I do, but they don't serve alcohol at Waffle House. Therefore, I was not going to be present at said Waffle House. <laughs> if you didn't have it, provide it, or sell it, I didn't go. That was me. Holy shit. I'm, I mean, I'm dead-ass serious. And you could say, hey, Curtis, come to the house. We're going to have a party. And I'm going to show up, and I'm going to go over to that cooler, and I'm going to be like, that's going to last a little bit, but don't worry. I got mine in the back. Right. <laughs> Always had a cooler, things like that. So we, I, when I showed up to his house, and my wife had already texted him and warned him and was like, he's drunk again, but he's driving. I can't stop him. He's at your house. Then I said, yeah, it's about this time last year I wanted to kill myself and I should have done it. Um, I'm, I'm done. And he just stopped. And he's like, he was like, come again? And I was like, I'm done. You know, if I leave here, I'm probably not going to come back. So, of course, he did the right thing. And, you know, that speaks to the whole, the people who say they're going to do it don't want it or don't mean it. That's horseshit. That goes back to my, I just wanted my current life to end. I didn't want my actual life to end just felt like that was the only way right so we go get help from a friend go to the bar and on the way back i was just, he was like do you really want to do it and i was like yeah i want to do it i'm done and he was like well now i'm taking you to the hospital we're committing you and i was like kiss my ass i'm not going to the hospital so we get to the hospital parking lot he's like get out i'm like get out of the truck get out of the truck so fine i'm getting out of the truck i'm taking my beer with me so i try walking home then he picks me up we go back to the parking lot. We did this for about 45 minutes. Uh, it was quite entertaining. I thought it was hilarious. He didn't. I didn't see that he was crying because I didn't care. I didn't pay attention. We've been friends for 20 years, and right. I didn't give a shit about him at the time. Uh, so the next day, we go to the therapist because he's like, I'm going with you. You're going to tell him the truth. And I was like, I know I'm not. And he was like, that's why I'm going with you, so you can tell them the truth. And he, you know, battling depression and, and, you know, all that stuff and not ever being truthful with them, the medication could never really work because I wasn't truthful with the amount of booze. I wasn't truthful with the side effects of the medicine, things like that. So he came, he ratted me out, I'm like, oh, punk bitch, I was really pissed. <laughs> uh, so she was like, well, we really need to get professional help. And I was like, yeah, well, I'll think about it coincidentally that night we had a christmas party at my house we were drinking everybody was having a good time and i got a hold of some stuff i shouldn't have Ooh. and i took it while i was drinking and just i thought maybe if i told my wife i would go get help she would get off my back 
Because, you know, she'd be like, oh, I bet you can't go three days without drinking. All right, woman, bet. 72 hours and one second I was drinking. Mm. You can't go four days, all right? Bet. After four days and one minute, I was drinking. So I was like, that morning, I was like, yeah, I'll get help. And she's like, oh, my God. They were there, but they were gone. Right. My wife was gone. My child was gone. My family was gone. I didn't have anything left. I had the shell of a family, but they weren't far from physically leaving. Right. It was literally at that point. Um, So I was just like, you know, yeah, I'll go get help. Well, she ended up calling the guy that was helping me. And coincidentally, like you said, buying into the system is a captain with the Cary Fire Department and went to the same facility that I went to. And he's got 15 years clean to this day with no relapses, same facility, same everything. And after detox, which I almost died, I was like, this is horse shit. Um, I really understood that it could be possible. And he was in the exact same situation I was, just with no family. I said, well, shit, maybe it is time. But everybody's different. I just, it wasn't really a certain event. It was just a culmination of years and years of drinking and, and pills and Adderall and just surviving. So there's going to be the question. <clears throat> People are, if they haven't stopped listening because we jumped in too deep on them, they probably thought it was just going to be a lighthearted butterflies, fairies, halligans, and half wheels. Yeah, oh, we'll, cigars and farts. We're going to talk about we'll what they... We'll get to pride and ownership here in a minute. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll we get to that. we got to end on the high. Real yeah, shit, well, I mean, But I think real is better. Real world shit. Yeah, let's let's be real. Let's not, let's not sugarcoat it. You know, none of us are bakers. You know, when you break all that shit down, what do we got? Nothing. You just got flour and nothing. Butter. No flavor, flour, right? Egg, so, milk, water. You said something we should probably address. At least I feel we should. I would have questions if I didn't know you or know your story. <clears throat> the um, You talked about, you know, at work, you know, that your performance and so on and so forth, Did and you were drinking and driving. There's going to be people that are going to say, well, he should know better. He should have known better than to drink and drive. Absolutely. Yeah. So how do you, how do you, I guess, how do you recover from that statement and that action knowing that that's what we go out and we deal with because there's going to be people that have questions and listen, you're not the only fireman, EMT, paramedic cop that has ever drove inebriated, right? Lawyer, doctor, judge. Yeah. Lawyer, doctor, (laughs) judge, plain citizen, right? How do you, what do you say to that person that sits there and casts that judgment or says something disparaging? I mean, I know that Eddie says he doesn't give a fuck what anybody thinks. I know John doesn't. I know I definitely don't, but how, that person that is, is perhaps listening to this, maybe drinking a libation that, that doesn't doesn't know which way to fence to go. How how do we how do we bridge that gap? How do what what do you say to somebody that says, "I can't believe you did that," knowing you're a public servant? The way I see it, I'm not a cop. If sure. I go, if I go to a person that was drunk driving, my job is not to judge that individual based on what they did. Right. As harsh as it sounds, whether they cause a fatality or they or themselves get killed, that's not my job. Right. Technically, it's not a cop's job either. They're just supposed to memorialize the event. Right. However, I don't feel like it's 
calling the kettle black because I'm not over here in my profession preaching not to drink and drive. Right. I mean, it makes sense. I just wanted to But if they wanted to have a conversation, I'd be glad to have a conversation with them. Sure. Because in all reality, the only concept behind drinking and driving was because my life became drinking. So is there – I'm sure there's going to be people out there that would say that drinking and shooting guns is wrong. I did it. Yee, yee. Right. What about – there's no, there's no one less. would say drinking and fishing is bad. Right. I did it. Mainly because I, I figured if I drink, if I was drinking and driving, it might end it. Honestly, sure. I just played Russian roulette every day. This right. is how I live my life. I think that's a fair way to state it. I just, I wanted to hear your words because there's going to be people that are going to sit here and listen to this and say, or watch this even and say, hmm, that's interesting, right? And I. I'm not saying anything, you know, I'm not condemning or condoning. I'm just asking the question, you know, because people are naturally going to ask questions. I mean, they always do. Right, and that's fine. And and, and like I said, that's, I mean, if they want to wholeheartedly have a conversation about it, I'm fair game. Sure. You know, that might help someone they know. It might clarify questions they have. Sure. As far as the negativity aspect of it, though, well, actually, if you got anything bad to say, you can kiss my ass. It's my story. I lived it. I can tell it how I want to. Amen. And I wouldn't be where I'm at. Sure. You know, that's just like people say, well, if you could go back, would you change it? Absolutely not. I would change one thing. I would change the people I hurt in the process. Mm. Fair answer. If I mm. could go back and undo everything. I, I'd even tell my wife, I probably would have been better off just hitting her from the start. And she'd have left and never had to have gone through the things that I put her through. Jeez. But if I could go back, the only thing I would change is the people I hurt and how I hurt them. But I would not have changed any actions that I had to bring me where I'm at today. You very eloquently said, I guess, sometimes when you say something, you don't you don't think about other people's perspective. And um, you answered that like it's a, it's a it's a real answer. It's not just a, yeah. you know, I think you had to you probably had to unpackage your life a couple times. Mm-hmm. To deal with things. Well, you think now my wife had to go through Al-Anon. She had to go to counseling. I'm sure my kid's going to have some type of repercussions from this. Sure. Years down the road, once she processes it, you know, it, it's it's kind of heartbreaking when your kid knows you leave for your job. Right. But then when you tell her you're going away to get help. Right. And she, you, you break her heart. Like, you, you it crushed her. And she was what, like six or seven? She was nine or ten. Okay, okay. And it crushed her. She knew it like that. Sure, kids are kids are smart. Right. And she was catching on. And when we sat her down and told her, it was instant light switch. Tears, crying, choking, puking, just it. Sure. It, it was gut wrenching. Ugly crying. It was bad. And the worst part is, I was drunk, and I cared about it. What was even worse was the first time she came to visit me. And she couldn't stay or I couldn't leave. And I was sober. Oh, shit. Oh. That one was... I bet that that was a rough night. That was rough. Holy cow. If the the detox didn't kill me, that was next. But I will tell you a benefit of it, though. So the first time my wife was able to come visit me, I'm sitting at the lobby... You know, they have to get checked, make sure they're not going to smuggle us any drugs or alcohol, you know. Sure, sure. Little wino bottles and stuff, you know. 
And I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm looking at the fountain, and I'm just like, man, my wife said she's going to come see me. She said she's going to come see me. And I'm looking for her car. I didn't see her car. I'm looking in the window, and I'm just like, man, all these fucking women, these families, these fathers, and nobody's coming to see me. She had walked in. She had walked right past me. And I never even noticed her. Didn't even catch it was her. All I saw was the side view. But I hadn't seen her sober in probably two, three weeks. So I didn't know who she was at, at, from first glance. You know, you see the same person every day, all day. You know what they look like just by the back of their head. Sure. It's a whole different life now. Then she comes walking down the hall, and it was exactly as if I saw her when we were 16. And I saw her for the first time at high school when she was selling concessions at a soccer game. Like that. Took me back 12-plus years, and everything I felt that night came right back. 12-plus years later. Wow. So you wanted a Snickers bar? No, see, I actually got popcorn that night. Okay, okay. And I remember because I took Reese's from her. I still owe her like 75 cents for those. Well, inflation, Biden inflation, it's yeah. going to be a little bit more. Oh, well, boy. I did buy her, you know, her house and the land, so I, I think I paid for it. Um, Gave her a kid. Yeah, well, that too. Well, she would say that she did the work, I guess. All I know is I took a shower, she took a bath, and we had a kid. So <laughs> That's weird. I know. <laughs> Again, tale as old as time. Yeah. <laughs> At 17, I'm, which I might add, rough. So Sure, but. sure. So you talked about your journey. What what happened when you got home? Like after? Learning how to relive. Uh, so it's pretty much like a gremlin. Don't feed me after midnight. Don't get me wet. <laughs> No loud, no loud noises. Yeah, no loud noises. Uh, no bright lights. One of the biggest things was all my medication became non-narcotic, non-habit-forming, non-addictive. Okay. So it was like, how's that supposed to work? Everything's like narcotic and addictive and fancy and, and things like that. Uh, yeah. Just lift it up there. I did go up. No, it's just it, your shoulders rubbing on it. We can hear. It. Oh my bad. That's all right. I haven't dabbled. Hey, in buddy, this, this is. Long. We we told him one take. We're gonna give him one take. Um, just trying to fix the audio. That's all. So the. It's honestly an entire life change. Um, going to restaurants, making sure you're not sitting at the bar. Sure. Requesting them to take drink menus off the table. Hmm. Pretty awkward. Sure. So there was the no going out to eat for a while at restaurants. Sure. Um, if I couldn't pay at the pump for the first little while, I didn't get gas. Because, I mean, let's be honest, half the gas stations are booze now. Um, didn't go to the grocery store in the fear of just walking past. The, I was just, I was really scared. They, they, they make you so f scared and fearful of anything that could trigger you. Right. And it's crazy because in rehab, before we left... They did a trigger ceremony. So they had whatever your choice was. I call it a trigger ceremony. Okay. They said it was like a therapeutic thing to kind of show you what triggers do and how they make you feel and what kind of triggers can actually trigger you to want to use or whatever. Right. This woman had, like, she sit you down, make you close your eyes, make you get in a happy place so you meditate for a little bit, clear your mind completely, and you're just completely relaxed. You're zen. Is that what they call it? You're zen? Hell if I know. Sounds so. right. Yeah, you, right. you're zen. And she cracks a soda can. And she starts describing pouring this beer into a glass. 
She's describing the glass. Sounds kind of erotic. <laughs> the frothiness of the of the, the the frost on the side of the mug. The foaming. She's listening to it. My mouth got so wet. My pulse skyrocketed. And my mouth got so wet and dry at the same time. I started sweating. No shit. Like that. Triggered. <laughs> that easy. I wish we'd have gotten an organic reaction that we had. I wish you could have seen your face. So, you're smoking a different cigar out of respect um, because we infused ours with alcohol. Correct. Um, and you wanted to smell it. Mm-hmm. So, we, you're, you smelled the cigar and you're like, that doesn't really smell like anything. It smells like any other cigar. And I'm like, well, it tastes different because it absorbs all the, the alcohol um, into it. But I said, if you really want to smell it, smell the humidor that it's in. <laughs> and you smelled it, and it was almost like somebody held up a dirty pair of drawers to your face. I gagged. <laughs> you yeah. were like, no, thank you. And, you know, um, <clears throat> it's it's remarkable that you have gone that far, and you're that committed. I mean, this isn't this isn't something that you you don't uh, share with other people or that you don't, you know, you're not not willing to share your story obviously there's there's people that don't know your story and that's okay but the fact that you're so raw about it the fact that you're just so matter of fact right just here it is if you don't like it eat shit i don't care you know um it's truly it's an amazing thing like it's it's a hell of a road that you've been down right an absolute hell of a road but this didn't start because you woke up one day feeling bad. It was because you went to calls that were sideways. You went to calls that were, better words, fucked up. And you had no way of uh, of coping, right? This became your, I guess, what do they say? Uh, uh, coping mechanism. Coping mechanism, yeah. I mean. Well, at first I thought it started because men were supposed to drink beer and I liked the taste of beer. <laughs> then it was. I can't stand the smell of it. I like so. beer for breakfast. Then it was, I like Bailey's and coffee. And then it was like, I can drink for every meal. And then, you know, when you start running golf carts into the ponds and stuff, when you're trying to golf, it's kind of frowned upon. Kind of. uh, Well, there's no sign that says it's illegal (laughs) to not run the golf cart into the pond. Fair. So, I mean, I'm just saying. On this week on Jackass. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what it was. But I think the biggest thing is, I mean, hell, you can zoom in on it. I don't know if you can zoom in with that camera or not. I don't even know if you can see Dude, it. Dude, this go. thing, this this camera will do everything but the laundry. It seems like. So, I've gone to the point where it's to tattoo a massive sobriety coin on my hand. Yeah. Plain as day. I mean, it looks like I just got out the pen, and you know, but it's one is part of our new culture. Tattoos are becoming the new norm. Uh, it's your body. Right. Second of all, probably the first person at Lumberton to have a hand tattoo. He's not making besides eye contact. Rings, like yeah. I mean, besides like yeah. marriage things, uh, and three, it it's just it's there. It's a constant reminder. It's constant. It's constant battle. Constant reminder. If I'm ever having a bad day, I just got to look down and I know why I'm doing it. That's right. And to me, it's worked so far. I mean, I only have like two a little over two years. I mean, it's not a whole lot when you have in comparison to your whole life to live, but. Uh, but every day is an every yeah, day. Right, right. As long as it's, you right. know. Every when, day above ground and every day I'm sober is a good day. 
regardless right. if I pay way more in bills or taxes or whatever the case may be. But right, I don't know. Priorities are different now. Yeah. And and the funny thing is, you know, I don't think I'm an asshole. Um, I've heard a lot of guys say that they would not expect to be able to come talk to me about things. So when I got back from the peer support class, my probationary fireman, um, we're sitting at dinner and we're talking and the guys were like, so how was class? And I start talking about class and he was like, you went and took that class cap? And I was like, yep, sure did. North Carolina peer support might be able to help somebody. And he said, why'd you do that? Right. And that's uh, the other part of our culture. And I said, I it's said, change. I yeah. said, hey, man, what are you talking about? He said, I would have never thought that you were that guy. I was like, what do you mean that guy? It's like, I figured you were a suck it up buttercup kind of guy. I said, I am. If you break your finger and you come to me crying, <laughs> I'm going to tell you to split it up and get your ass back to work. So true story. But if you come to me, yeah, that is true. Uh, we're going to tell <laughs> yeah. it. We're going to tell it. If you come to me and say, hey, Cap, I'm not really feeling it today, guy. You know, I'm like Big John. Your dog died. Or my, I didn't sleep good last night. My my wife is upset with me. Whatever. I'm going to do what I can to help you. Right. But he literally was like, I didn't expect you to be that guy. I was like, all right, then. But do, do you really feel, before we tell this story, do you feel that you needed to go to a two-day class in order to help somebody because you have you're walking the talk and do you really think that that you needed that validation or was it more like checking a box for you it was more or less i knew that was probably one of the only ways i was going to get in or the only way to get in uh a lot of everything that they talked about i had already known as far as like going through i mean when you do 28 days in rehab you kind of learn a lot about talking and listening and you know trigger words and things sure. not to say and how to be um uh, i forgot the word sympathetic versus empathetic empathetic yeah. emphasize versus ep- ep- empathy versus apathy okay yeah. so you know one thing in your life to avoid is apathy right so you know, things like that, I knew a lot about already. Sure. Um, but it was nice to meet the people that, because they were going to send me to Chicago. I actually utilized the peer support when I was showed up at my buddy's house. He didn't know what to do. He didn't have anything. He didn't have know what to do. He's like, my buddy's wanting to kill himself. What the hell am I supposed to do? Right. Can't call 911 for this. They'll laugh at me. So he called his buddy. I utilized the peer support team, and they were going to send me to Chicago. And luckily, the guy from Cary was like, hey, this is an alternative because, it one, it's Christmas. So I miss Christmas and New Year's. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, which really sucked even worse on top of everything else. But he was like, there in Greensboro, your family can come see you. It's the holidays. I don't know your financial situation, but I doubt your family's going to be able to fly to Chicago to come see you. We ended up going that route. Sure. So I guess I was checking a box to be able to get to the point where I could be able to, to help. possibly help somebody. I would have I would have come to you with or without a two day class, personally. I mean I just I, knowing you and knowing your story, I guess that's the other thing is 
we talk about like we know our brothers and we know our sisters and we really don't we don't we don't know a damn thing about them or what mm-hmm. they're doing and it's quite sad it uh, it really is because you're this is a profession where there is no reset right nope. i mean we don't have a reset button i call it the xbox society oh shit went bad we just push reset uh, that's great doesn't work for us right rage quit and yeah and, and you can't throw your controller on the ground and just walk away because the job's still got to be done. And and speaking of the job being done, this is this is a, a true story. Let me grab a swig of water before I do this. What are you drinking out of over there? Uh, it says like it says ivermectin on it, it. It is an ivermectin cup. Yeah, it's a tumbler. Um, it is my um, it's satire for me. Uh, it was uh, I purchased it out of California. A uh, young lady made it for me. That. Um, I did get COVID, and I couldn't smell or taste, which sucked. I took a vinegar bottle in the kitchen and sniffed it. And, and I mean, I never had any bad, like, anything, uh, reactions to it. I just, I ached for days. Like, my hips hurt, my knees hurt. Anything that you'd had past trauma on, doctor's like, you're going to do it. Never cracked a fever, slept all night, just had a terrible cough, post-nasal drip, that was it. But this is my attempt at satire. So, um, for those of you that don't know, I'm also an auctioneer, and I was at a sale, and I set this up <laughs> and did what I did, and people loved it. And then I took it to a charity sale that Christy and I attended, and holy cow, people loved it. So it is now my satire, and it keeps my water, you know, n- nice room temperature. Um, Relatively refreshed. <laughs> yeah. And people, you would not believe the amount of people that actually think I'm drink- drinking straight ivermectin. And that those people that are like that, I just let them think it. Absolutely. Like it's, if you're it's best for them. If you are that dumb, <laughs> you are that dumb. So, um, but finishing the job, the, uh, <laughs> we were, we, the, the first time we'd ever, no, second time I'd ever met you. Yep. Uh, first we, time was the matchbox. Uh, yeah, the max fire box. Yeah, that's correct. Um, we, uh, we were doing force entry and it was cold and it was rainy and it was about this time of the year actually. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it was about 30 to 40 degrees raining sideways. And we were in a training facility that had no windows, no doors. No, so, no heat. Yeah, well, we couldn't light, we couldn't light a fire in there either. That was frowned upon. So uh, we're in there, and we got to day two. And, and if you've ever taken forceful entry training with us, uh, we do things a lot differently than most people, and we we do the crawl, walk, run method. And the, the full series. Specify on that, because I mean, I know I know we offer like condensed versions. Right. Ours was the full. Yeah, yeah, the full two day. Um, the, the full two-day um, forceful entry, like where we, we, we walk you through slowly uh, in just your bunker pants, your helmet, and your gloves, and then we put you in an SCBA, and then we put you in your face piece, and then from your face piece, we occlude your vision, and, and then it becomes complete and utter distraction and very loud, and you can't communicate. Well, we were doing something for time and correctness, and I think Big John was your proctor, um, I was on a different door and all of a sudden you were done with your whole evolution. And I think you had a young fireman from a different district or somewhere else. Yeah. And he somehow Curtis broke his finger. And the only thing I can think is shit, we're going to have to do paperwork. And I walk over to him and we stand inside the trailer cause it was backed up to the edge and his finger was crooked like Forrest Gump's legs, like question mark. You know, and so <laughs> he says, get me, get me some popsicle sticks and some tape. And I said, you don't want to go to the hospital? He goes, it's a fucking broke finger. We got training to do. And at that point, 
this is going to sound so borderline homo, but I fell in love with Curtis Misho that day because he didn't quit. All right, dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, he did not quit. And a lot of people would have found a way to puss out or be tired. We were doing a class, remain anonymous. They'll know who they are when they see or hear this. We were doing Denver drills. This individual was not even lifting, right? Like, I asked the guy that was on the ground being folded up like a taco, is he even lifting you? And he says, no. <laughs> and this kid is at the window. And I mean, is it, yeah, the camera's on me. He's doing this, struggling. He's got this face like he's vagled down trying to, you know, take a number two. And he's just... And I'm already down on the ground. I'm like, is this guy even lifted? And he wasn't. And then he grabs his side and is like, oh. And then 20 minutes later, he was eating eight slices of pizza, drinking soda pop. And I'm like, what the fuck's up with this guy? Right? I got a guy that literally broke his fucking finger, hammer down, and he's gone. And I got this guy that just quits, you know, in the middle of a Denver drill that it just made no sense to me. But... That that story I'll forever cherish because it was, we talked about it on the ride home. We were just like, just see that guy. I mean, just just say I'm done. Yeah. I mean, don't try to fake it because we're gonna call you out on it. Right. I just I was impressed with that, but I do wanna I wanna ask Eddie, and, I, and then I wanna come back to you, Curtis, because I've got some questions, and and then not in a probing way. I just kind of wanna ask some questions about things that maybe people might find interesting. If you don't mind, um, sure. Slightly to the left for starters, but <laughs> <laughs> so Eddie, I mean, y- you've been at this a long time, a while, a long time. Um, what is your what is your take on what 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 was you, I mean? I don't I don't know if you've ever had to deal with anything like what Curtis has or what Big John's had. No, for me, I I cherish my wife. I cherish my kids. They mean the world to me, and that's when it started affecting that life. That's when I knew needed to do something. Bravo. So what did you do? Well, for for me, uh, I had to realize, you know, there's there's more to life than I need to have a life besides going to work every day and being a fireman every day. I needed a, I needed an outlet. So what are your outlets? Um, I, I enjoy I enjoy getting out, messing with honeybees. I'm not a beekeeper. I'm a bee haver. Cause every time, every hive I've ever had, them some bitches leave. So obviously, You're not, not, you need to spend some time with my wife before you leave. It's like a, it's like a, you a, know, a man. battle between him and another guy at work who can keep bees the shortest. Jesus, they they leave. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, we, we we'll sell you some bees. I mean, Christy's got. A lot I, of, I would. I'm, I'll ask her going to see about. Uh, yeah, she'll split some, some nukes. Yeah, she. Uh, she's going to go to the state bee conference while we go to Florida. So. Um, I asked her if she wanted to go to Florida. She said, nope, I want to go to the bee conference. And I was like, we're going to the bee conference. <laughs> we're going to Florida. <laughs> but um, beekeeping, just different hobbies, uh, tinkering in the garage. Yeah. Um, I love to fish. I love to hunt. I love going to the beach. <laughs> yeah. Um, but from, can you do me a favor? What do you need me to do? Can you just get rid of the speedo and not ever post that on Facebook again? <laughs> well, I promised. I promised the last chief 
that I would never do that again. And I didn't post it to Facebook. My brother did. So <laughs> I'm innocent by association there. But the only reason we were there was uh, every January, I like to jump in the river. Okay. In a Speedo. Just, hey, I'm alive. And he, he, he wanted to do it this year. And him and his wife showed, joined me and. We're good. We, I mean, it's just... Listen, life is short. Yeah. And a lot of people take themselves way too damn serious. They have an overinflated sense of self. I, I feel that was me a lot. You know, honestly. Uh, just was too serious all the time. And I just, I just needed to just wind down and just relax a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. It's just uh, one of those deals that you um you encounter in life and, you, and and some people process things differently yeah um uh, uh, a big thing i did and i was never a proponent of medication for anxiety and depression sure i actually took my wife's advice and went talked to my doctor and we were able to get some medication worked out low cost insurance covers it and it it keeps me pretty centered now so between that and a good cigar and a, an occasional drink, living not, your best life. I, I'm loving it. You know, what a great time to be alive, guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you think about all the people that <clears throat> will probably sit and listen to this, and I hope somebody. It's my hope that somebody will sit down with a cigar and listen to this. Uh, we've been going at it. I don't know an hour or so, but. I hope that somebody will sit down and have a cigar and, and, and almost be like interacting and be like, God oh, dang, that's me or that's my buddy. Man, we could, you know, that's the that's the whole point of this is just to share information and, and talk with each other. I mean, we're going to have some people on this that have nothing to do with the fire service whatsoever. And then we're going to have people like Bob Farrell. We're going to have to make a road trip to New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And we're going to sit down at Firehooks Unlimited and we're going to talk with Bob Farrell and we're going to, I don't care if we have to do five different takes because he's got to you know we're gonna we're gonna sit down and we're gonna do what we need to do because that's a guy that has devoted his entire adult life to making the firemen our jobs easier and better Mm -hmm. and 90 something years old still swims every day still building tools um you know for all your help today um with our new trailer thank you by the way for everything uh we got a new trailer this year that we're building some cabinets in. Curtis, myself, and Big John have been working on uh, getting in and done so we can get on the road and get it wrapped. Um, <clears throat> that, you know, he's still working on tools for us as fire departments. I mean, he sends tools to us constantly. Hey, break them, destroy them, tell me what's wrong with them. And he does that with other people. I think Search and Destroy tools do the same thing. Um, I think they're a training agency out of uh, by Detroit or somewhere up there. But this is a guy that still cares. You know, and he wrote a book, and and that's what I gave you to say thank you. I mean, I've only got a few copies that are signed, right? But mm-hmm. you know, he said give these to people that will, um, that will cherish them and use them. And uh, the Joey D Foundation, uh, they give out um, bailout kits to fire departments that can't afford them. Um, and then they also give money to the Legion Fund for FDNY. That's he wrote a book called The War Years. It's on Amazon, and I, it's a shameless plug for him. Um, but he doesn't make any money. He is absolutely, he wrote a book called The Warriors, and he wrote it about his time and as a captain of Ladder 31. And, you know, if you, Dennis Smith, God rest his soul, um, 
He wrote the book Engine Company 82, Report from Ground Zero, Firefighters. I mean, he wrote a ton of books. He, you know, was big and instrumental. I mean, hell, he founded Firehouse Magazine, and people don't even realize that. But uh, when somebody dedicates that much, you know, I want to get his story. I want to sit down and talk to him. I love going to talk to him. I love, <laughs> I could spend all day up there. And he'll work circles around these kids. You know, like he goes out in the factory floor and talks to the guys and does everything. But that's my hope. I hope somebody sits down and, and listens to this and says, Jesus, this is some real talk. You know, whether it's fire related or not fire related or hell, it might be NASCAR related. You never know who you're going to see on this show. That's that's the thing. It's like we're never really going to advertise. I mean, we've advertised a few people that are going to come. But I mean, if like we get a big name, we're just, not, we're just going to do it, pop it up, and here it is. And if people want to watch, they watch. But um, Curtis, you talked about... <clears throat> being inside of the facility and 28 days what what did you do all day because people are going to want to know right so what was a typical day inside like and i hate to say inside i mean i don't know how to refer to it it was the joint man i did my time <laughs> i did what i sentence and i was out i got i got these push-ups uh, in. yeah man. <laughs> ramen and honey buns and i came out 40 pounds heavier uh no nah, i mean i'm not saying that there's not good <laughs> I'm not saying that there's not good facilities and there's not bad facilities. Um, obviously, I, I, I'm not going to make it a habit to try out multiple facilities. Um, but the one I went to was Fellowship Hall out of Greensboro, North Carolina, and one of the oldest substance abuse treatment facilities on the East Coast. Um, it's been there for, I don't want to get my numbers wrong, but I want to say close to 60 years this facility has been in business. Um, so if you were on medication or you were in detox or anything like that, you were up at six o'clock. You had to get your vitals taken every morning from six to six thirty. And do if you had a poo stick, you had to still turn in, you had to scrape your poo and stuff and blood work and, and urine tests and all that. And then you could go back to sleep Breakfast from from seven to seven thirty. Medicine from seven thirty to eight. Everybody came together for eye opener at eight o'clock because it was a AA. It was a alcohol and substance abuse. Uh, so it was AA and NA. Okay. Uh, and for those AA's Alcoholics Anonymous and NA is Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, so you come together as one facility to do the eye opener, and you know you read the prayer of the day, the AA quote for the day, the NA quote for the day. And then you started breaking up. Uh, we would have a class at 9, class at 10, class at 11. Lunch was from noon till 1. And then from 1 to 2, we had a class. And then from 2.30 till 4, we had group. And what we would do is we were broken up into groups based on, of course, why you're there, age, things like that. Try to get a, a peer group. Uh, you had group therapy. Uh, you had counseling, independent counseling, twice a week. Uh, we had to do like you know work through the steps and things like that. And then had group at f and from what two thirty to four. And then you had free time from four to five. Uh, dinner was from five to six. And then every night we would go to a different. AA meeting, but we were only allowed to go to speaker meetings because they did not want us participating in AA meetings because we did not have a strong foundation of sobriety and they didn't want us getting 
war stories is what they call them mixed up with your story you know like don't be proud of what you did as if it's a competition or you're boasting about it versus telling your story as it is that's interesting that i would have never thought of that like that you shouldn't have you know it's an interesting concept. Yeah, I so mean, we went to speaker meetings only so we could listen to those that had years of sobriety sure. open up. And it could be AA or it could be NA. You never knew who the speaker was going to be. Sure. So we just bounced around churches amongst – well, I w they weren't churches, but all the most of your meetings are held at churches. Sure. Uh, so we just bounced at different churches uh, for the speaker meetings. Weekends were no different. Um you didn't really get a whole lot of downtimes on the week downtime on the weekends either. Uh, your bed always had to be made. You had to keep your linen. They give you linen once a week, and you had to swap it out and keep your bed clean. Nothing in the bathroom. Did you there. have a roommate? I did have a roommate. All right. Yep. Still, um, still in contact or no? Nah, or? man. I had his number and everything. And like once we left the facility, like it's never got in contact with him. <laughs> um, like his phone just didn't work. I don't know if he just didn't like me or. He didn't, didn't have his phone when he got out. I don't know. Uh, he came in two days after me. Uh, okay. But I still have. So, like, the most common thing is, like, you know, you, you, high school, you had a yearbook. Everybody signed your yearbook. Well, yeah. You're given an AA book, an AA book or an NA book, depending on what your path is. Okay. Um, and about the last week that you're there, we would always, the, you would leave your book in the common room table. And people would jot their name, AA, NA, if they wanted to, and their number. Uh, so, if you... <laughs> It, it it looks pretty bad, but if you go through my phone, I have a whole, like, screen or two of rehabs. And it would be, like, John Doe rehab, Jessica B rehab, <laughs> sure. just so that I could keep them away from everybody else so I knew. Um, and I still keep in contact with quite a few people. Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I think right. that, that you built a, a rapport, and it's a healing process. It's not a one-and-done thing. Yeah. So um, that is – it's – it's a hell of a story. I mean, you know, some people hear the word story and they think that oh, it's a, like it's fairy it's tale fiction, right? This is yeah. <laughs> it's real fucking life. I wish they would. And honestly, I mean, I know we all know drinking causes birth defects for pregnant ladies and stuff. They almost need to take that off the bottle and put what detox is like. Because if I'd have known that shit before I went in, I would have killed myself before. <laughs> because wow, damn. I mean, honestly, that's, that's you're, you're you're almost borderline ICU. I mean, they shoot you with so many vitamins because they got this thing what's called wet brain. All right, so eventually, you know, uh, I don't know the entire entirety of the science behind it. Something about you're drinking uh, a lot of what you should be food wise intaking. You're drinking it like calories, sugars, things like that. So I didn't eat a whole lot when I was drinking because I wanted to drink everything instead of eat it. Warnicky's encephalopathy. Yeah. So they got this thing called wet brain. Paramedic. And, and apparently what it comes down to is once you stop drinking, your body needs these chemicals. And the only place they can it can find it is in the in your brain. And it can cause your brain to start dying. Your body eats your brain away, I guess, is their understanding of Mercy. it. Mercy. And you can get dementia and brain damage and all this other stuff. So they keep you loaded with, like, vitamins. But I'm going to tell you what. They hit me with that first set of vitamins when I got there. It felt like a hot soldering iron getting stuck in my ass cheek. It was terrible. The next day I woke up and had, like, a, a soccer ball-sized bruise on my butt cheek. It was terrible. 
they load you up with all these drugs and Valium and anti-seizure medication, not in an unhealthy way. Right. They do it to prevent you from having seizures. They give you medication to throw your equilibrium off. That way, you know, they wean you off of that so that you don't just go wake up one day and you're like, shit, I'm sober, and you start having seizures. And so, like, you're walking down the halls and you're like, oh, I feel kind of fucked up, but you're not. Because they're giving you this medicine to keep your equilibrium off, and they taper you off as you go. But, I mean, you figure my blood pressure was through the roof. My heart rate was through the roof. Sure. Puking, delusions. I mean, there's there's only so much medication they can give you before you just have to man up. Right. And suffer. And that's what I did. Were, for, the, sh- were the shakes and shivers real? Oh, it was bad. I mean, I still shake. Uh, that'll never go away. Um, apparently, my tremors is permanent. Uh it, it comes and goes some days. It's it's worse than others. Um, sometimes people can notice it. Uh, they ask me about it. I just tell them I'm, I'm nervous or some shit. But right. it's just a side effect. Um, my liver was able to come back, surprisingly. They didn't think it was going to be be able to regenerate. Um, Holy but cow. it somehow did. So you're like a lizard. Um, it's not 100%. Um, <laughs> some things I'll never get back. Uh, but I was able to get majority of that back. Well, speaking of getting back, I mean, relationship at home obviously is fixed. Better? It's better, but it's constant work. It's it's. Well, I got news for you. It's that's, always, it's, that's it's always that, that was before. Right. Well, I didn't I didn't care to do the work before. Okay. Uh, but it's you know actually having open line of communication. Yeah. It's it's being able to talk without getting upset. That's tough. For an Irish guy, that's tough. Well, our job is what? What is our job as firemen? We fix problems. We fix problems, right? So one of the hardest things I had to figure out is they don't always want their problems fixed. Yeah. So, like, they come home from work, and they're bitching, they're moaning, they're complaining, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, what second nature, what's the first thing you're going to do? Well, what you're you need s- to do is... You're going to start giving out <laughs> solutions, right? You're going to be like, well... Kitchen table. Did you tell that bitch that she did the report wrong? And that next time you were going to cunt punt her if she didn't do it right? You know, things like that. <laughs> and the whole time, they just wanted you to say, is it okay? <laughs> wow. Do you need to talk? Wow, do you need to, do you need a hug? No, and, and sometimes you know, I mean, uh, I can't speak for everybody, but I know that. So I always ask the question: You want solution or do you want comfort? Yeah, that's right off the bat, and depending on what she tells me, depends on whether or not I give her a solution or I just give her a hug, grab her titty, and tell her I love her. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but you know what? That's that's real. Like, it is. That is that is absolutely real, and a yep. lot of people can't handle real. Nope. And learning how to talk to my kid is how how is it being a dad and sober? I mean, now you're into you're into preteen years, right? She'll be thirteen this Saturday, oh, man. Shit, bro. Bless you. Bad. Oh. And she's so beautiful, like her mom. Did. So I know I'm gonna be in deep shit. I think everything. Everybody's like, "Well, you better be glad you didn't have a boy." I oh, think it, I think the world is like, <laughs> we knew how you were and what you did. This is payback. so a boy wouldn't be shit compared to. A young woman. Are you dealing with the emotions? It's fucking terrible, man. She's not... It, it's not that... She'll always be... Like, I tell myself, it's like, oh, my little girl... Sorry. I got a 13-year-old. Like, I don't think... I think she knows that we're never... We're never going to give that up. Like, that's something that I've already identified with her. Like, I'm give shit where you go. How you doing? You're still going to be my little girl forever. Right. And she's got no problem with that. 
we have done everything we can to keep her away from not keep her away from the outside world. I'm not I'm not sheltering her. I'm not we don't we're not a cult or a covenant. She goes to public school. But <laughs> isn't it sad that you feel that you have to say that out well, loud? Well, the, there's a lot of stuff that she does not know compared to what some other people of her age are knowing and doing and doing. Yeah. yeah. Like my daughter won't even say the word sex. Not even joking. Like if we're having a conversation about school, and she'd be like, Daddy, these, these girls are talking about what they're doing with boys. And, you know, I don't egg it on because I want to hear her say it. But, I, I, honestly, I, I egg her on in certain situations to see how she reacts. So when I'm like, well, what are they doing? And she's like, well, you know. And I'm like, no, I don't, baby girl. Tell me. I can't say it. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't say it? She's like, the thing they do with, to make babies. And I'm like, oh, they have sex? And she'd be like, oh, man, the Daddy, that's gross. So there's a lot that, because hell, these thirteen year olds are learning stuff and doing stuff I didn't do until I got into high school. Sometimes right. out of high school. Well, I think the advent of the cell phone and what it has become has right. is changed us. Because I mean, look, I'm older than you. I remember when a StarTac flip phone was the baddest thing in town, boy. And then Nextel came along, and boy, if you didn't have a Nextel, and then uh, that was where you talked, boop, boop, you know, and you could talk somebody up, dial them up. The PTT, push yeah. to talk. And then, you, and then you had the texting where you had to hit the number. Like, if you wanted M, you had to hit it once. And if you wanted O, you had to hit it three times. And if you wanted, you know, R, you had to hit seven, like, what, three or four times. And it just, things have changed, right? Things have evolved. And now, you know, I, I, I heard somewhere that our cell phones have more computing capability than what we sent somebody to the moon with. Think about that. Our phones have that much capability. And now everything, as long as you've got phone signal... You've got access to the world. We have to be careful in that conversation because there's still some that believe we didn't send anybody to the moon. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if the world was really flat, the cats would have knocked everything off the edge. Exactly. And that, I firmly believe that. Well, I'm, I, I just, I'm just wondering if the world was round, how come water ain't dripping off the bottom? <laughs> Gravitational pull. I mean, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> So I'm over here running these things through my head right now, and this is this is what I'm thinking about. Oh Christ! So one of two th- two things. First off, how can we send somebody to the moon, but I can't walk in the middle of the forest without losing fucking cell phone signal? Breaks Cause, my heart because we don't have we don't have towers everywhere. Oh, 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 not, not the point. Not the point, Bill Nye. Okay, listen, Linda. Oh, <laughs> Linda. Second of all. Which one is closer to us, the moon or California? I'd rather go to the moon. Hell, I don't <laughs> know. No, which one is closer to us right now? Hell, I know. California, right? Yeah. It's Until it falls in the ocean. Right. But then how come I can step out on my front porch and I can see the moon, but I can't see California? Curvature of the earth, baby. What, what's that called? Coriolis effect? No. Look well, at you. well, what about the sun? I mean, the sun is in space, but the spa- but space is black. That's what I'm saying. Well, it burns so high. Hell, guys, it's brighter than my future. <laughs> I know that much. <laughs> we, are off, we are off the rails. <laughs> 925 at I mean, night, that's the stuff the I think rails. about. No, and, and you know, it, it makes total sense. It's just, it, it makes you wonder, right? Like, these kids have access to so much stuff, and it's not that they're they're contenting or contexting good stuff. No, you not know, at all. <laughs> um, I, I, I watch, and again, I, I, 
I don't really watch With the great news. great power comes great virtue. Right. Or like, look at this porn I found on Snapchat. <laughs> right. I mean, I, somebody sent me something the other day on a screenshot that was they said was unedited. It was just from their phone. Sorry. And, and it was porn on Facebook. And I'm like, what the fuck is up with that? But that's the society we're in. Like everything's at your fingertips. D's and A's. Well, I mean, if you want, if you want something, what do we do? Like if we needed something right now, I get on the computer, I order it on Amazon, it'll be here in the morning. Yep. Right. In the rain. And, and and thank Jeff Bezos for that. But the other thing is, is yeah, they left the packages in the rain again. Again. Yeah. Yeah. We had 400 cigars ruined. Ruined. Because wow. the FedEx wow. guy left everything sit in the rain. 400 cigars. I could have cried, puked, spit, cussed, and curled up in the fetal position in the same motion. Like, and probably kicked the FedEx guy's ass. Man. It's all being made right, but it's just, it's absolutely gut-wrenching, you know. Um, but it's interesting that you, you your family, I mean, I know that before we came up here, we spent the day together, obviously, and... Uh, you know, the first thing you do is you, you call your wife, you talk to your daughter, um, family is first. And, you know, you're lucky you, you, you heard the bell. Yeah. And a lot of people don't necessarily hear the bell. You know, Eddie talked about him hearing the bell. John's heard the bell. Not everybody hears the bell. And that's what scares me is that we can sit here and talk about it openly and candidly and laugh about it because we all know each other. Right. And there's going to be people that listen to this and say, damn, they're calloused. You know, like this guy's pouring his heart out. Well, we know this, we know the story. Right. So for us, it's not a, I guess it's not a, it's not an unknown. It's not a shock factor to us. Um, but there are people that it, it will absolutely, uh, probably shake somebody to their core at least one person but you know i don't don't think we're doing enough for veterans of our armed services um you know we're we're just not as a country we're not doing enough but we're not doing enough for ourselves either in the fire department and you know you can't go to the fire chief and talk to him i mean if you talk i mean you can right but what's the chief worried about he's worried about budgets city hall board of directors whoever he's got to answer to yep and and you look at the other people and you know at, at the end of the day it's got to be us taking care of us and that's the hard part is we've got to invest ourselves in each other and it just it, it's one of those deals that people are just you know we get caught up like what do you want to do when you're when you're done 705 hits you want to be gone you know when it used to be guys would sit and have a cup of coffee till 10 o'clock or whatever and you know the rigs were checked or guys would just stay over and hang out with the guys now it's our, our culture is completely different in the firehouse at least it's our take i mean we get to go all over this great country and see fire departments all over and you know everybody faces the same thing they think oh well just because i'm part of the uh you know Shotwell or wherever fire department in the middle of nowhere or they're a part of a municipal department their local hub they think that their world is different than you know, anybody else, if you just take one firehouse in like probably New York city and break it out and don't focus on the rather, the other houses around it, they still have the same struggles we do. Oh yeah. You know, there's, and, and Phil will talk about it. There's guys in the FDNY that don't know what kind of rig they're running. They know it's a fire engine. They know there's a pump. They know how to make the pump work. They know how to make the gauges work. They couldn't tell you if it's a KME. They couldn't tell you if it's a Seagrave. 
you know, maybe the guys that are into the job, but some guys just don't care. Yep. You know? Yeah. And, and it's, it's sad. I mean, there's guys in Boston I met like that. I mean, hey, you know, it, more power to them. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just they view it like a job. You know, it's not, they're not into the job. They're just on the job. So, uh, it's, it's just a, like you said, society has changed. Our kids have changed, obviously. Um, and it's one of those deals you just sit back and you kind of shake your head. Like what the hell's going on? When do we take it back? Like, when do we take our job back? I've started taking ours back. Right. So one of the things that I've had being a young officer as far as age and being a young officer within my department has led me to have several struggles that I can't really go to others about because they're not in the same situation as me. Sure. Um, so, you know, like the whole driver's training thing. All right, you got to get somebody checked off to drive the truck. You got to get somebody checked off the pump. <laughs> and they say, well, what if this individual just doesn't deserve to drive a fire truck? My question would be, okay, to, not to interrupt you, but who are you to decide if they deserve? Well, as far as like they can't. They can't drive, therefore they don't deserve to drive because so they, they can't drive. So they can't drive because they're not capable. Right. Sounds like a training issue. So my thing to them exactly. is it's your job as an officer, one, to figure out why that individual is not capable of driving that fire apparatus. I don't think the newer age is less hard-nosed than it was 20 years ago. I just think it's a lot harder to get them to buy into it. So buy into what? The job. Okay. So but I've whose got fault a, is that? At some part, it is the guys at the firehouse. Senior man. Right, senior man, officer. Like the chief can only do so much. The training chief can only provide the the best training within the equipment. Budget. Right, all this, but. At the end of the day, he sets it out. He shouldn't have to oversee to make sure we're doing it correctly and the right way and all that fancy stuff. And one, to make sure it's actually getting done. That goes down the chain. That's your job. That's as my a, job. As a line boss. Right. So, Does it matter if you're a career volunteer? No, no. Absolutely. People don't give a shit when you show up on their worst day. I know. But we'll there's just a, want, what is your truck the fuckers, there's, a, there's a push. They just a, want the fuckers to do the right thing. Well, I mean, listen. These people... It, it amazes me. Like, it, it, it absolutely amazes me. Like, there's some people, oh, well, we can't. What happens if we get a fire while we're training? You go. <laughs> but you, you don't dedicate your first out engine if you're in a rural setting. And if you're in a setting where you have to go somewhere else, you put your engine out of service and you have to get your hours in. Like, you have to, you know, there are places that I have seen personally that will not allow their guys to pull hand lines because they might get a call. They may run five fires a year, maybe one fire a year. But their, their their mindset is is we can't do that. Yep. And that's bullshit. It is. And then when you so let me ask you this, Chief. Since you are Chief, and we're we're talking candidly, and I don't want to get you in trouble. So if we don't, we can't talk about something. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But how does it? <clears throat> how do you perceive that as a training boss when you've got guys coming to you saying, "Hey, can we go do this? Can we push that limit? Can we go a little bit further and a little bit further because we want things to be done right." Because it's been our experience that the vast majority of people who have promoted to your level mm -hmm. don't, they want to ride the desk. They don't want to, you know, <laughs> we have, we've trained together a lot. Mm -hmm. You don't leave our side. You're right there with us. 
Um, and, and it is what it is. Um, you know, so we just lost video because we just filled up the video card. And that's all right. We'll just go on with it. But um, <clears throat> nothing we can do about it. We'll just buy a bigger video card for episode three. So we apologize for that. We know the limit now is about an hour and 40 minutes, I guess. So, but <clears throat> regardless of all that, um, I guess maybe we'll just upload audio. I don't know. And be done with it and just buy a bigger card. Next that's, time. Yeah. That, make, that makes sense. So, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of pushback. You know, how do you deal with a guy that's been around for 20, 30, 40 years that doesn't, doesn't want to do that? Like, how, how are you dealing with the, the, the boss? Let's say, let's even just say a senior fireman, lieutenant, a captain that doesn't want to get out and go. And you're constantly having to whip and uh, I say whip, like you're trying to, you're trying to get them to move. You know, you're trying to chase them out and say, go, go, go. And all they want to do is come in. Check the rig, run calls, sit in a recliner. That is probably. Fortunately, that's not something I have to deal a lot with. Uh, I kind of set the training schedule. Uh, I give them the tools to do the training. Uh, but the actual cracking the whip, you know, that's that's a shift supervisor thing. Um, our, our, our shift supervisors, they know what the guys need to work on. They know what they need to take care of. We, so like when we have you guys coming in, in March, mm -hmm. we've already blocked the days. Nobody can take off. You don't have an option. You're going to be here. Right. Cost me money, chief. Sorry about that. Buddy. <laughs> we'll try to make it up in overtime. That's dirty. Oh yeah. Cause that's guaranteed. It's dirty. <laughs> we'll try to make it up in overtime. Plenty so, of it. <laughs> uh, you know, fortunately, we don't have to deal with that a lot. We do have some that they're going to do the bare minimum. Our bare minimum is our ISO rating. We're going to meet that standard for ISO. Um, if they don't meet their training requirements quarterly, they don't get to take vacation days. Mm. Because Spicy. they're they're... Their shift supervisor knows they're going to monitor their training hours. If they don't have quarterly training hours met, when they request a day off, denied. We, Makes sense. We have, Let me ask you this. You came from the volunteer ranks. You were I, a volunteer I, chief. I was. How do you deal with that in the volunteer setting? Because there's people that are listening to this that, yeah. you know, three out of every four firemen in America. Is volunteer. So how do you meet that? How, how do you how do you urge people on? Because I know that like there are some agencies that are the guys are 60, 70 years old. They're getting long in the tooth. They're not really concerned about structural firefighting other than being outside. Mm -hmm. They don't have the physical capability. How do we how do we urge that on to where people will wake up and see that you know we have to we have to do more. How do you combat that? Like if somebody came to you and said, Chief from a neighboring agency or a neighboring county or hell in the neighboring state and said, I see what you're doing. And your reward is you're holding time off above these guys. Mm -hmm. Like there's a there's a there's a risk benefit, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't do your training, you don't get your time, mm -hmm. which is fair. But how how would you how would you recommend somebody do that? Like how would you say, Hey, you need to fix this? Because there's a lot of people that don't understand ISO. Yeah. So therefore they resist it. Mm -hmm. There are people that know it exists and don't care about it. 
and it doesn't help the taxpayer. Right. So, and then there's agencies that want to strive for more, you know, oh, or a three, maybe next time we can get to a two, you know, and then you've got agencies that are like, we're the worst rating there is. We, we, we'd like to be better, but we don't know if we can get there. How, how would you bridge that gap? A, a lot of it has to do with, in the volunteer setting, for me, I had to see what the commitment level was of the staff, of the, of the department. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to, I, I, I would, I do a, I did a freaking survey. Hey, where do you want to see us? To try to get the buy-in from the guys and to, to set forth, you know, all right, this is what we want to do as a group. How are we able to do this? And plant my seeds of how I want us to go, how we can all come in together and make it work. So, uh, you know, from the volunteer side, you can't push but so hard. Right. Uh, vo- God bless the volunteer. <laughs> but what you can do is find a spot for that individual. Yeah, yeah. So one of the biggest things is, and, you know, coming from my volunteer department, keeping names out right i think i'm the youngest member i'm 31 at the end of this next month my volunteer fire department is exactly what the fire books say they were started by farmers yep stayed with farmers yeah population is 2500 in the in the district Mm -hmm. but an obvious need right to take care of the public right however and then they're thinking, and they'll tell you, we'll do anything you ask, but I can't do this and I can't do that. All right, that's cool. Can you drive a fire truck? I certainly can. Can you pump it? I certainly can. All right, cool. Now I'm going to put you on this training schedule. All right, these people that can fight fire, maybe not on the inside, but on the outside, we'll put them on this training regiment. I think somehow we've lost track of making people fit. It's easy to discard the ones we can't use right off the bat than it is to find where they fit and how to use them. Right. And it's the same way with the career side. I've got an individual that is young, fit, eager. However, if you do not keep him intrigued, he's not in it. Sure. So I know that individual, every time we train, I give him the difficult tasks. Every time. Because if I don't keep his wheels turning, he's not bought in, he's out. Then I got individuals that want to go to their bunk room every day. Five o'clock hits, they're in their bunk room. Well, guess what? Now, I make them study at the kitchen table. Because guess what happens at the kitchen table? Everything important. This. Bonding, Mm -hmm. communication, no phones. We have a rule. There's no cell phones at our kitchen table. I don't care if we're eating or not. No cell phones at our kitchen table. When we're eating, no hats at the table, no cell phones at the table. And by making my guys study in the kitchen, within a few weeks, they're slowly reverting from their bunk room. You don't see them spending as much time in their bunk room. You're building relationships. Exactly. Mm -hmm. They may not see it that way at first, but I am making them do something they don't want to do. Whether it's because they're not comfortable with it, or whether they just don't like people, or whether they just don't know the guys they're working with. Right. But if I make it a standard, they have to do it, I reap the benefits. 
they reek the benefits without knowing I'm doing it. I Mr. Miyagi that shit. That's <laughs> what I'm doing. And and it's the same thing with the volunteer versus the, the career. And it's like I was telling you, our jobs as officers maybe used to be easier a few years ago when you could walk up to somebody and say, hey, what the hell's wrong with you? And they would tell you. Or I'd say, hey, what do you want to do today? And they'd actually tell you. Now you get, hey, what do you want to do today? I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, that doesn't help me figure it out. Right. Where do you struggle? I don't know. Where do you think I struggle? You're the officer. You see it. You should know. Right. I'm like a mind reader. But I just have to put a little bit more leg room, leg work into figuring out the needs of your people. The needs of my people that aren't vocal <laughs> of those needs. Sure. A lot more work on my part, but the benefit is worth it. Sure. That's why I have guys not failing probationary tests, passing them first tries. I've got guys passing street tests first time. I've got guys passing their uh, career ladder tests. Like I've got guys doing what is expected of them, not from the department, but what is expected of them from me. And I feel like sometimes we lose that. Makes sense. I mean, they're just as hardworking. I have guys that, yeah, they stay with a phone in their hand. You know, they're not the greatest at communication. They lack some things. But when that bell goes off and they hear a call, they're invested. They are there to do a service, provide it, complete it, the task, the job, whatever the, the, the outcome is, they want it to be done as close to perfect as can be. Sure. I just have to work a little bit hard as to figuring out how to keep them engaged. Right. Because everybody these days, they're not this, not that they're, they're weak or that they, they cannot do the job. You just have to find out how to gear everything towards them. Well, I think that's one thing that we've always heard. Um, you both have sat through our officer shit class and that's the one thing that I don't think we covered anything that you guys cover in Fire Officer 1, Fire Officer 2, no. 3, 4. No. It doesn't matter. Um, I think what it what it does is it says this is the job you're going to have to do. This is what we do do. And <laughs> nobody ever. I said do-do. I did. I said do-do. <laughs> uh, nobody ever sits down and says, hey, this is what's going to be expected. They just say, you passed your test. You have the certification. Now you get to ride the front seat. Nobody ever says, hey, this is how you handle an EAP request. This is how you handle disciplinary. This is how you, you know, you can't say this to an employee. You can't tell them <laughs> this for that. You you can think it. Just don't say it. Um, and uh, there's a lot of unknowns on the job. You know, I, I got to tell you, <clears throat> um, I was having a conversation with somebody about a uh, potential job and they said well have you ever been the fire chief no okay I said but I've done the fire chief's job what do you mean said done administration skills I've written SOPs and SOGs I've had to unfortunately play politics I don't enjoy it but I've done it um, I know what it's like to have to evaluate employees. I know what it's like to have to go before people and ask for budget increases. 
I, I've done it all. Have I done it as that person? No. And the one thing that always cracks me up is, you know, I make it a habit to, to, to look around and see what people are doing for job skills and what they're wanting to hire for. And they'll say, we need X number of years of experience. We need X number of this. And you need this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. But just because you're certified doesn't mean you're qualified. And I've said it a hundred times, and I'll say it again. Some of the best education I've ever gotten was from guys that could not write a complete sentence. There was I, I worked with a guy that could literally tell you if the truck was pumping just by the sound of the engine, the mm -hmm. PSI. Yep. That was a guy that knew. By the way, he was a farmer, right? Farmers are amazing individuals, but people discredit them and discount them because you weren't you weren't a career guy. You didn't you know. I've met plenty of career firemen that are they're th just slugs. They're just just terrible slugs. Nuts. Yeah, and then I've met volunteers that would just work circles around them, but because they don't have the right look, they don't have the right last name, they don't have the right kiss ass. They they get overlooked, and that's unfortunate because there are good people that are passed over every day for a job because of whatever reason. I just. I find it very sad that, you know, we, we look at somebody and say, oh, well, you got to have so much experience. Well, how are you supposed to get experience? And by the way, how'd you get your experience? Somebody took a chance, right? How, how do you, how do you even gauge experience? Well, that's another thing. And that's a very valid point, John. Is High that, call volume. Yeah. Jobs. Jobs. Okay. <laughs> I go to jobs. Jump down. You know. <laughs> Force doors and bang whores. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Forcing doors to the fire floor. You I know? mean, think about it, though. Like. I think it's like Raleigh or Cary Police Department, all right? And if you try to go to them not as a recruit, lateral transfer, you've got to have two to three years in a high-call volume area. All so right. let me ask you this. What, what does the hell does that mean? Because, like, Fayetteville Fire Department, they got 17 fire stations. Right. Don't hold me to that because I don't work for them, so I right. don't know. Just throwing out a number. Right. They might run an average of, like, I don't know, 50,000 calls a year. What if you're at that house that only runs like a hundred a year? Not every fire station is busy twenty four seven. Right. But yet you fall under that umbrella as high call volume area. Right. So you can go to this department because you got three years experience at a high call volume area, but does it ask on there how many of those high call volume you ran? No. And that's the thing is like I've met people from you know West Virginia gets a bad rap. They. We've got a couple instructors from West Virginia, and they, they do get a bad rap. And and we do a fair amount of business in West Virginia. But the funny thing to me is that there's guys up there that they may not make the news. You know, if it's not in Charleston, if it's not uh, if it's not in Charleston or Wheeling or you know one of the metro areas, Huntington or wherever else, it, it really doesn't make the news, right? Mm -hmm. Beckley, I think, is another big town. But they those guys are going to work, you know, but it's not on the news. And so, therefore, people just discredit it as a, oh, whatever, right? And, I, and I, that is like a pet peeve of mine. Like, not everybody can live in Yonkers. Not everybody can live in the city of New York. Not everybody can live in Long Island. Nobody can live in, you know, Boston, Baltimore, all the big cities, right? So, it doesn't make you less of a fireman. I just, it, it's always intriguing to me to hear things from other people because you're just like, how many fires have you been to? I went to five last year. Cool. 
right? But but what kind of fires were they? Were they yeah, were they a room and contents fire? Was it a snot slinger? Was it a kitchen fire? I mean, what kind right. of fire was it? Was it was it an electrical fire? I mean, because you know, it, it just it, you know, and then people, well, how many doors have you forced in anger? I get it. A lot of people want to shock set whatever the door. That's what they're being taught, and it's sad. But what do you do when you hit that thing and it doesn't budge? Why don't you just start there? You'd already wasted your time and your energy swinging your eight-pound halligan. Just start with a gap and be done with it, right? If you force things and do things the same way every time, it builds repetition. Repetition builds competency, and you don't have to think about it. Did I skip this step? No, you, 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 were, you were subconsciously competent. And a lot of people aren't subconsciously competent or unconsciously competent. And it cracks me up, and it, and it does make me chuckle And when you see people actually getting it. But... I've struggled with with agencies that well we're just volunteers. Well, I hate that. Term. Oh, I can't stand it. It just irritates the shit yeah. out of me. So is that is that where you hold yourself to? I, well, I'm just a volunteer. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. You know, and and you know, it it does make you sick uh, to watch. And and you know, I, I've seen people pour their heart and souls into an into a, an agency, and it falls apart. And they're left there going, Jesus Christ, what did we do? You know, what was my efforts for? And the hardest thing that I think I, that ever hit me was when you sit down and the old fireman, the retired guy comes in and says, what did y'all do to my department? What, how do you answer that guy? Yep. Yep. What do you say to him? You know, what do you say to that guy? You know, Oops. when he walks in and nobody knows who he is, you know, granted, I'm not saying he's like the Pope. He walks in and everybody's like, oh, my gosh. You know, but like you should know who he is. It shouldn't be that he's just some old guy that's coming by to get a free cup of coffee. We should start stack cards. You know, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but you know, especially when a guy gives twenty years of his life to something. Right. So we we start stack cards. We start a firefighter stack card company, right? And we trademark it. We get like baseball cards made of firemen. And you hand it to the new guy, and you're like, "Hey, your job's to remember this." Right. And when that one guy walks in, he'll be like, hey, who is that? Dude, that's John Brown Wayne, 21 years on the department, retired as a captain, 69 house fires, 14 grabs, 1,100 can jobs. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That'd yeah. Be dope. But I mean, you know, you think about it. The guy <laughs> walks into the firehouse, right? He's wearing his old hat and he's proud. And the guy's like, who's that guy? Why is he wearing our hat? You know, instead of answering the door, I mean, I remember. Listen, I can fill your head with volumes of shit that I've just seen. Chief, when do we start selling station hats? <laughs> yeah. Well, my girlfriend wants one. Yeah. It, it, uh, he doesn't even have a pager. Yeah. Like, what, what's he doing here? You know? And, and it shouldn't be like that. Like, I was always taught the new guy runs to the door and answers the door. The new guy answers the phone. You know, I would sit my guys down and tell them, my job is to walk to the phone. The senior man's job is to jog to the phone. As the junior man, your job is to sprint to the phone. Your ass better get there before all of us. That's right. And it's your job to answer the phone. It's your job to be in the sink because somebody's going to come along and they're going to do it behind you. And a lot of people don't like that hierarchy because they didn't have it at home. I think it all starts at home. It does. And, and it, didn't, it didn't get finished up at home. You know, parents, I'm still a firm believer that the kids that got their beat, ass beat in high school are the kids that are in charge now. And, and look at us now. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but they, they, they made all the rules and they went about it and said, well, I'm going to make change. And I think everything's at ebb and a flow. But 
Um, I got to tell you guys, I have enjoyed thoroughly sitting here this evening. I have enjoyed my smoke. Uh, I, I really appreciate the uh, the candor and the uh, the rawness and the realness of the conversation. I think that hopefully somebody will listen. Um, you know, if we can ever be of any help to anybody, I think that uh, you can always reach out to us. Uh, training at box1971.com. But uh, we would we would encourage you to, to keep listening. Um, if you're interested in training, let us know. There's a contact form on the website. We'd love to come train with you. Uh, with that, does anybody have any closing remarks? I got to go pee. You got to go pee? All right. Well, Big John's got to go. All right. You got anything, Mr. Curtis? No, I appreciate the invite to come up and work on the trailer and, and get things going. And appreciate to come on the podcast and talk and look forward to what the future holds for the company and each of us and yeah where we go from here yeah i it's think rough. the only way to go up is, is up chief i know you didn't get to talk much tonight um mm-hmm. i think what we're going to do is we're going to just carry this over um till maybe the next time we sit down at lumberton um which will be in a few weeks and we'll just sit down and we'll kind of build off of this and we'll talk about some things i know you had some things on your mind that you wanted to talk about um not trying to cut you short no uh, problem. just uh if, that, if you're amendable to that. Yes, sir. All right. Um, well, sir. <laughs> sir. <laughs> Whatever your pronouns are. I, I hey. Identify, <laughs> I identify as me. You. <laughs> them. Well, give them a cookie. Give, give, them a, give them a teaser. Like, teaser? Give them a little bit of what the next one will consist well, of. So like, just the have, next, chief, well, have Chief sum it up since he'll be the guest speaker. Well, the only thing is, is so next week we're going to shoot another one. I know that we said we we're going to shoot him in a month, but uh, Butters is going to come down from Pittsburgh, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to shoot that one, and that'll be a month. And then, so this one will probably be out. What are we? This will be March, April. So the, the Chiefs will be out in May. May. So well, What's that one going to consist of? Uh, the Chiefs? Yeah, well, I'm he, so curious. Let the Chief tell you. I mean, he, he told me some stuff about history and some, you know, just things that he wanted to talk about. So I think maybe training and things like that. So I'm not trying to put words in the man's mouth. What, what you got, Chief Cox? Just, just a little bit of, of what's in the next episode after the next one. A little history of, of the place, uh, where we're at, where we're going. Uh, you guys just got a new Chief, too. So. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Do you think maybe he would sit down with us for like five minutes? I know the Chiefs are busy. Can you maybe work on that? He'll have an advance notice. I, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I might be able to get him in there. All right. I mean, it's just going to be an intimate setting, right? I mean, hell, we could do it in your office. Hey, we can leave the blinds open this time. <laughs> hey. <laughs> uh, if, if that's all right. I, I hope that's okay. Um, well, we have to be able to smoke, so we'll have to. We had to do it outside then. Yeah, we got to be outside. Yeah. Yeah. He wouldn't like send the staff side up and smoke. No, I mean, <laughs> but I love it. But but when you but when you become the chief, you get your own bathroom. It's yeah, it's pretty nice. It's important. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's important. Um, but listen, uh, I I do want to thank y'all and Chief. Uh, we will get to that. I think Butters wants to talk about at-risk populations, some things that he notices, um, and the things that he works with with the Pittsburgh Bureau of Fire, uh, and and their EMS agency as well. So I think that with that. Uh, I guess we wish you all the best of luck, safe travels, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bon voyage. Bon voyage.